Now, one thing most people desire in their life is growth. Physically, mentally, emotionally, we, we desire to, to grow. And we tend to think of that as kind of a journey, growth. It, there's an advancement. Nobody wants to be stuck and, and stagnant. We want to be advancing. We want to be moving forward, going somewhere, moving to that new horizon, journeying to that destination, growing. That's the way we think of growth. Think about it uh, educationally. You know, we move from grade school, we advance to junior high and to high school and to college and maybe on to a graduate degree, advancing on to bigger and better. Think about it in terms of a growth and in terms of a career. We tend to think about kind of starting at the bottom, maybe a, a busboy or, you know, in the mailroom or customer service. And then over the years, we climb the ladder, moving from one rung to the next, trying to, to reach the top, which is a vastly different place than where we started. It's how we grow in our careers. And we really admire people who have the story, right, of starting at the very bottom. Used to have a man in this church, started washing dishes at the Red Lion, ended up VP of the whole thing. We go, wow, exponential growth. Now, because we have this framework for growth kind of in us, what happens is when we become Christians, we kind of plop that down onto our view of, of, of how we grow spiritually. And now we actually have a bit of a problem. Because Paul says to the Colossians and to us something sort of different in verse 6 of our text. This is kind of the, the number one principle he has for Christian growth. It's kind of the theme of this book. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, you see what he's saying? Paul is saying we advance, we move forward, we kind of walk in the Christian life by what? By going nowhere. He says to them, just as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built in him. We grow spiritually, we walk forward by staying put on that original reception of Christ as our Lord. We are to never move away from how we received Christ. We are to stay right there. Now, to be clear, he isn't talking about that original reception of Christ as that emotional kind of experiential event, as we would describe it in our culture, asking Jesus into our heart, which is kind of an unhelpful phrase. So that every day he wants us to, you know, kind of relive that. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about how their salvation took place. What happened? The process. What, what did they believe? What did they do? Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5, because he talks, Paul talks about it here. We kind of come in in the middle of it, but chapter 1, verse 5 says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, 
the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Paul is talking here uh, about, about a learning process, isn't he? How they heard the gospel, and they learned it, and they understood it. This was the reception process for them. In fact, if you look at verse 7 of our text, where he says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. They, they, they received this gospel that, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Christ, the awaited Savior, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose to new life and offers forgiveness and life. And by faith, they submitted their lives to him as the Lord and relied on his work as Savior. That's how it happened. That's how they received Christ And Paul says, you stay right there. If you want to grow, don't move. Or in a sense, walk in that. Don't ever get away from that. That's where Christians are to live every day. He says the same thing, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15 to them. What what I received, I passed on to you and you received. And then he explains the gospel. That's what they received. Now, if you think that sounds a bit stagnant and boring, it's like, oh, yeah, I heard the gospel, you know, when I was a kid, blah, blah, I've heard it over, Jesus died, yeah, I know it. Gosh, never move on. First of all, it's anything but stagnant. As we read through this book, we'll see the vibrant changes that come in their life. But secondly, note the two images he uses for this, this growth, for this staying put growth. They are to walk in him how? Look at it. Rooted and built up. Rooted is a uh, kind of a tree analogy, right? Now, a tree doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't move to new or fresh ground. It never moves anywhere its whole life. So it's, it's stuck. There's no growth in a tree, right? Because it doesn't go anywhere. No. No, its, it's growth happens as its, as its roots grow down deeper and deeper into the same soil. And as they do, it, it gets nourished and established and strong, and it branches out and grows up and up and up. That's not stagnant. And in fact, if a tree does try to move, you know, I'm going to go to L.A. where things are happening and get my roots in the concrete. No, it dies. Built up. The second analogy. There's an architectural kind of analogy. How does a building grow? Well, its foundation is built down first, isn't it? If you go to Chicago, you can get tours of the skyscrapers. They always tell you about how far the foundations, the pillars go, you know, how many stories they go down into the bedrock. And then it's built up story by story by story. That's how it grows, by staying put. 
building on its foundation. This is how we grow as Christians. We don't move on. We, we grow down. We get into the nutrients in a sense of the soil and the gospel as it's applied to our lives, and we grow deeper in him. And why is this the way of growth? Why isn't there some additional means of, of spiritual advancement and growth? Why isn't there a second way to, to further spiritual levels in life so as to really grow close to God? Well, it's very simple. Look at verse 9. For in him, this is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see, in Christ, all the fullness of deity, of God, dwells. Think about that. The enormity of that statement. Jesus isn't a divine figure. He's not a human reflection of the divine. It's more than just where there's part of the divine is something in him. If that were so, then we might need more, right? We might kind of smorgasbord our spiritual growth. We'll get a little from Jesus, a little from this religion, a little from this kind of spiritual source to kind of gain and get closer and get more of God. No, all deity, all of God, all his sovereignty, all his omnipotence, his wisdom, his knowledge, his love, his faithfulness, his authority, his mercy, his transcendence, his purity, his wealth, his honor, his truth, his creativity, his immortality, all that he is is infinitely and eternally in Jesus. There's no more deity, no more spirituality to find. He is it. And then Paul adds something even more amazing. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head and ruler of all authority. It's amazing. He says, in him we have received the fullness. All who have received him as Lord, all who have come to have him by faith, have been filled. <clears throat> it's not that we personally hold, in a sense, the fullness of deity. Only he does, but we've come into Christ and he in us. And it's past tense. It's been done. Think about that. I'm always trying to get my mind around that, but I was thinking of this analogy I heard once where they talked about, you know, it's kind of like you're a bowl or you're a vessel and, 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 and uh, a spiritual vessel and then God is like the ocean and you've been thrown into it and you're, you're filled up. You don't move from that. You don't leave that. You're just trying to expand to take more in. I know it falls short, but it helps me a little. That's how you grow. Now, Paul is stressing this truth to this Colossian church that they grow by staying on and in and with Jesus, that you grow spiritually by being rooted more in his gospel, because there's a very real threat around them. He's not speaking into a vacuum. He's not just saying these things randomly. There is a dangerous situation happening in their church. We saw it last week in, in, in verse 4. If you look back, 
He said, I say this, all that he's saying there, I say this in order that no one may be deluded, that is, deceived and led away with plausible arguments. Then he teases it out, verse 8 in our text, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits or, or principles of the world and not according to Christ. Now, it's easy when you read that phrase uh, to, uh, about the philosophies and the human traditions and the elemental spirits and principles to say to yourself, oh, I, I know what he's talking about here. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking about uh, this little church being attacked by the world, by its, its philosophical ideas and its traditions and its secular principles, kind of like the atheistic attacks on Christian, the Christian church and Christian beliefs today that try to lure you away with logical arguments and scientific data and worldly philosophical ideas. But actually, Paul's not talking about the world out there and its attack from the outside. The whole context is about what's going on internally, internally in their church. He's talking about the teaching, these false teaching that's going on in their church. There's a religious group, these gurus, these experts, mostly of a Judaic flavor, it seems, in the church that are promising a growth. I've titled it kind of a, a fullerness, a, a fuller knowing of God and spiritual experience through these extra teachings they have and these special studies and these unique practices and rituals, a fuller spiritual life. You may think, well, sounds pretty good in a way. The problem is that what they're teaching is not centered on Christ and his gospel. It's not expounding on him and how his cross work and resurrection and lordship relates to their life. It's not exhorting them to grow down into Christ, but to move away, to advance. It's very religious sounding stuff. In fact, it's, uh, it's using a lot of, they use a lot of theological ideas, a lot of practices from the Old Testament. But in the end, Paul says it's really just human ideas and traditions, materialistic principles that lead them away from Jesus. So that although it sounds very plausible and very persuasive, in the end, he calls it empty deceit. Religious, even Christian sounding, powerless lies. Reminds me of uh, one of my neighbors uh, when I first moved here, a neighbor down the street. My wife and I had been witnessing to her and, and invited her to some Bible studies. And one day I saw her and she said, hey, Carrie. She's very excited. She said, I'm reading a Christian book. And I said, oh, that's great. And she brought it out for me to see it. And it was by a Christian uh, television kind of personality. She said, it's so great. It's just like my Oprah book, except it's got these verses at the beginning of every chapter. Not going to help her grow. You see, our American church situation is a lot like 
the Colossian situation, but maybe a little worse. Our Christianized subculture is chocked full of religious sounding, Bible verse quoting noise that's really just human tradition and secular principles repackaged, worldly advice in a Jesus wrapper. Go online. I was going to give some examples from online, but it's just a million of them, of all the courses and seminars on spiritual growth and books about special prayers and rituals and exercises and diets that will help you grow spiritually. And so many of them are just empty deceit leading you away. We must beware. We must see to it, as he said, that we're not taken captive. It's like the word kidnapped. That we're not kidnapped by these ideas, these Bible verse-coded lies. We must always ask, how does this course, how does this seminar, how does this book, how does this sermon series help me know Jesus as my Lord and apply his gospel work into my life? How does it help me rely on him and his grace? How does it help me rest in his work? How does it help me walk in his victory? How does it help me trust in his redemption? How does it help me submit to his lordship? Or is it leading me to something else? Is it subtly turning my attention to dependence on religious works or self-empowerment or prosperous living or secret, deeper knowledge? All in the name of Jesus, of course, but empty deceit. Now, in the rest of the text, verses 11 through 15, what Paul does is he teases out the incredible fullness the Colossians already have in Christ. And as he's doing this, we can see that he's, he's fighting off, he's refuting some of these fullness lies that the teachers have on offer. We don't see the lies, we see his answer to them and we kind of can start to see what the lies are, what they're, trying, what they're, what they're being captivated by, these fuller life lies. And I think we need to pay attention because guess what? They're the same today. They're the exact same lies. They don't go away. And the first one that's on offer is fuller freedom from sin and temptation. They offer fuller freedom from sin and temptation. These nice, religious, pious teachers in the church are saying to these young believers, look, I know you've become Christians, and that's all great, but hey, you're, you're still struggling with sin, aren't you? Which, of course, everybody's going to be like, yep. It's kind of like the faith healer who's like, somebody out there is in pain. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's me. You're struggling with sin, aren't you? Well, we have. They say, we, we've got something for you. We've got the way to deal with it. We can help you. Advance farther in your freedom from sin. In fact, we have this this special right. It's part of our Jewish heritage. Used to not be something for you, but you can have it now. We can bring it to you. What is it? Anybody know from the text? Circumcision. Circumcision. (laughs) See if I can say the word. This is why Paul, if you notice, suddenly starts talking about circumcision in verse 11. 
It kind of catches you off guard. He's talking along and he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, apparently, they, they were selling this circumcision as, as a means of really denying uh, sin in your life. We, we see it alluded to, again, in, in verse uh, in verse 23, if you skip to the end of the chapter, this idea says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, severity to the body, like circumcision, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. They're, they're selling circumcision as a way of stopping sinful, fleshly things. Now, as crazy as that sounds today, um, you can see how they could sell this idea. See them saying, look, you're taking on this ancient Jewish tradition that symbolizes being separated out from the world and dedicated to the Lord, sort of cutting off the worldly, fleshly evils from your life. And you know, by willingly taking on this painful ritual, you are demonstrating your radical seriousness to follow Christ, to get away from sin. And thus God will honor and bless you with extra power to fight sin. People do similar radical things today, simple things, you know, to show their radical commitment, don't they? Fraternity brothers, you know, they'll get, some of them, I've seen they, they get like a branding, because they're radical. They'll do it. Elite military forces practice, you know, these torturous initiation rituals. Because you're committed, you're radical, you're in. Religious gurus and cult members starve themselves and practice all kinds of deprivation so as to purify themselves. I remember running into this guy when I was living in Chicago, and he was heading to L.A., and I asked him why, and he said, well, look, he was leaving his, his family, he was leaving his wife, he was leaving the kids, and he was heading off to join this Scientology group because they were going to help him purify his life, and, and he needed to get away from his family because, man, they were part of the problem, and he needed to get there, and they were going to take him, he told me about these sweating it out rituals, they were going to do all this stuff to get clean. Sounds kind of weird, but we usually have our Christian versions Seminars on fasting our way to a cleaner life. Christian views, vows of poverty that will earn some purity points. If you haven't run into those things, just hang out on a Bible college campus. Always some zealousness that gets weird. Well, what does Paul say, verse 11? So he says, he just goes right into it. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He says, yes, there's, there's a circumcision that, that is done by hands, cutting off of a little flesh, but in Christ, the whole body of flesh, that's, that's all the evil and sin, has been circumcised, cut off from you. It wasn't done by hands. It's a spiritual thing. And it was cut off and destroyed. How? Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Just stop there. You see, at the cross, he took our sin, Jesus did, and then he died and then he was buried. And as we were baptized into him by faith, 
We died to our sin and we're buried with him. You see, you can't be, you can't mortify the flesh any more than that, than dying, can you? You can't be more cut off from fleshly temptation than death and burial. Christ took on the whole body of flesh, the the total power of sin, our sin, and he killed it, he destroyed it as he went to the grave. I couldn't help but think of Romans 6, 6 and 7 here. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now to be clear, we, we know we still sin. But not because we have to. Not because we're enslaved because we fail in faith, in him. In Christ, we've been cut off, and we can live in that victory. We can stay and grow in him as we trust him. We don't need to move on to some ritual or technique. We only need to grow deeper down into him. We need to live and walk by his spirit. He has done it for us. You want to grow in, in, in away from sin? Stay with him. Rely on him. So let no one take you captive with other ideas and techniques. Now the second empty deceit that these false teachers are putting on them, the next fuller lie, I've titled Fuller Life. Not only are they offering a fuller freedom from sin, but they're offering them more life. A deeper, fuller, spiritual life. Of course, this one, we relate right to it today. This idea is peddled all over the place. This idea that, you know, you're missing out. You can have more. Yes, you're a Christian, but there's a a greater spiritual life, a more blessed life that you are missing out on. And we can unlock that for you. Christian publishers would go out of business without this idea being out there in the air. We are very much suckers for this one. Because there's always a sense of dissatisfaction and unfulfillment in us, this side of heaven, isn't there? Of course there is. We have eternity written on our hearts, but we are not there. We're here. We want more. We feel that something is missing and not right. Everybody feels this. This is what Instagram is about. Look at the life I have that you don't have. Look what you're missing out on. It plays on our innate sense of unrealized potential and yearning. See, the false teachers are offering them kind of a a Christianized, spiritualized version of the Instagram life. The lie. We have the, the ritual of secret knowledge to help you get there. We can give you the real, fuller life. And what does Paul say? How does he speak into this context, into our context, into their context? Second half of, of verse 12. 
Not only has he said that they're buried with him in baptism, but he says, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. He says, you were raised. Past tense, it's been done. And you're raised to what? New life. Resurrection life. And when did our resurrection to new life happen? When we received him. When we came to him, when we trusted in him for our salvation, not only did we die with him, but we've been raised to new life. We've been made alive together. In other words, resurrection life, eternal life, is in us now. Do you realize that's happened already? You don't have to wait for it, you have it. There's no fuller life than that, right? Resurrection life? Eternal life, can you get fuller life than that? Can you get more life than that? Yes, it's going to come to its fullness someday in heaven, but we've entered it now. We just need to live in it and grow in it as we trust Christ. If you're wondering, kind of, well, what does that look like? Here's a little sneak peek. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We'll get into that later, but he's, he's teasing it out, isn't he? Don't be taken captive by Christianized Instagram life salesman. When he comes along offering a bigger, better, deeper, more prosperous life, just answer, sorry, already got it. I'm full. I just need to grow up in it, in Christ, until I meet him in heaven. Then there's one last lie, I think, that lies behind this text, that he's addressing fullness lie, from these guys, and that is fuller power and authority. There seems to have been some teaching going on there where they were saying we can give you more power, you know, to overcome evil in this world, in your life, more strength to defeat the the schemes of Satan, more empowerment to ward off spiritual attacks. And of course this is a draw to anybody. We all want more power, especially if we believe in evil and in demonic forces that are behind much of this world. But my friends, we are filled with Christ. And what is he? Verse 10. And you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. By the way, I think that's why he says, therefore, in verse 6, just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you received that authority. You received him as your authority. He is the ruler filled and has all authority. And what did he do? Verse 15. 
He disarmed all rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And how did he do it? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, our sin is Satan's power against us. It's what he can accuse us of before God. It's the grounds of our just condemnation. That's the, that's the legal demands, right? It's his whole legal case. For a holy God, this person's a sinner. Got you. It's all he's got. But Jesus nailed our sin to the cross. When he was nailed to the cross, when he took on all our sin upon him and he canceled our debt. Thus he disarmed the greatest of all evil rulers and authorities. So he has nothing to use against us. Because we're forgiven. We're washed clean. We're justified in Christ. Jesus triumphed over Satan. You want power? Stand in him. Stay with him. Grow in him. You see, to summarize, there is no fuller freedom from sin there is no fuller spiritual life there is no fuller power over evil Jesus contains all the fullness of deity of God and we are in him through his work on the cross and it's only as we are rooted and built there in him on his gospel that we will ever be able to grow Is this the kind of growth that is happening in your spiritual life? Are you growing this way, down into the gospel, rooted into Christ? Or are you being captivated by the worldly ideas that are coming through all the Christian paraphernalia? If you're not sure, if you're kind of like, "I I don't know. There's kind of a little litmus test, I think, in this text, a clue of whether you're on the right growth trajectory. Go back to the the first verses, verse 6 and 7. Look at how they culminate. Let's read them. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you're growing in Christ, if you're rooted and built up in him, what should be the outworking as you're kind of growing up like the tree? What should, what should bloom out of your life? The, the thanksgiving, abounding, it says. It's kind of this overflowing idea. I, I think of the trees in spring as they're just new sap is pushing out the leaves and the new growth is coming. They're growing. And it's like these leaves of thanksgiving. You see, if you're always dissatisfied, looking for something more, something new, what you're missing, filled with spiritual FOMO, you're probably moving away. You've probably been captivated, taken captive, I should say, kidnapped. You're following empty lies. No, a life rooted in Christ, growing in Him, 
will burst forth in thanksgiving. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you brought us in, in your gospel. Help us to stay there. We thank you that there's a depth there beyond measure. The full mysteries of all that's in Christ, we can grow down in for our whole lives. Help us not to be led away. Help us to dig into you, into your son, to rest in all his work at the cross, to be living out the gospel every day in our lives, that we may truly grow. Pray these things in his name. Amen.